Got Titles podcast is proud to be sponsored by Land Trust Title Services, your partners for results. Well, hello, this is Steve Kemp with the People Not Titles podcast, and I'm really pleased today to have my friend Ryan Bakey here. Ryan is a uh, real estate investor. Uh, he's a real estate uh, coach, coaching investors. He's a serial entrepreneur, and uh, he's a person that really is expert at showing people how to minimize, reduce taxes uh, who are investing in the real estate space. So Ryan, thanks a lot for uh, being with us today. Hey, it's awesome to be here, guys. Yeah. So Ryan, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, you graduated from college. Uh, you are a licensed CPA, but you took a little bit of a different path. How did that, you know, how did yeah. that come about? Yeah, I mean, it really all started when I was working at my first job just out of college, I was working at a CPA firm and I was doing two tax returns that day. So mm -hmm. I had a tax return for a married couple making 200 grand a year and they were both W-2s. And then I was also doing a tax return by a guy who owned a, a couple dozen apartment buildings in Chicago. And so he was single and he was making 400 grand in cash flow from these apartments. He had a lot of apartment buildings mm -hmm. in Chicago, but he paid less in taxes than the married couple who only made 200 grand. Mm -hmm. So not only did he make double the money, but he was also single, which means he was in a higher tax bracket than a married folk. And I asked my boss, I say, how is this possible? The, my boss at the time, and he goes, it's because he invested in real estate. Hmm. And that was a sentence that really changed my life because ever, ever since that moment, I've been trying to learn and figure out how it can be that these people can make a boatload of money and not pay anything in taxes. And I've really devoted the rest of my life's work to knowing, understanding that and helping other people understand it too. Hmm. So uh, up until that point, you did not own any, any real estate. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So from that moment where the aha moment, the light bulb went on, when did you buy your first piece of real estate? So the light bulb moment for me happened, I want to say I was 18 or 19 years old. I bought my first property when I was 21. Hmm. So once I had that light bulb moment, that's when I said, okay, how can I get into real estate? Right. And then you talk to family, you talk to friends or people, nobody's owned a property before. Hmm. Nobody's even owned a business before. Because the school system and society, unfortunately, it teaches us to be an employee, not an owner. Good it teaches us to be a it teaches us to be a tenant, not the landlord. It teaches us to be the borrower, not the lender. Mm. And so I spent that two two years there educating myself on how can I get my first property? How can I get my first property when I'm under 25? Maybe get work income or not, whatever. How can I get my first one? And that's where I learned about this concept called house hacking, where you can get an FHA loan, you can put three and a half percent down, and you can own up to four units of, of property, up to four units, right? And so I could put three and a half percent down, I could live in one unit and rent out the rest. And so that's what I did. So I bought a duplex in Tinley Park, that's where I'm from, Tinley Park, and I lived in one side and I rented out the other, and at the time, I was getting $1,200 a month when my mortgage was 1600 So 21 years old, I'm living with $400 a month is what I'm living on, and I'm making a good W-2 income because mm -hmm. I got a good job at a CPA firm, but that was my path to building wealth because I was cutting my largest expense, which was my housing. Mm -hmm. And I could go into you know how I was able to learn how to negotiate. So I learned about, hey, as is offers versus you know with the inspection contingency and all these different things, getting seller credits, I learned that in that two year time frame. So not only did I learn about taxes, I learned about negotiating, what to look for in deals and how to reduce my closing costs. Mm -hmm. um, I've learned how to you know, negotiate seller credits and, and things. So that's kind of how I got started. And then now fast forward four years later, I own, let's see, three multifamily houses. I own two short-term rentals 
and then I have two campground or RV projects. Hmm. So give it, you know, five within five years, I've able to done seven or eight deals. Fantastic! That's amazing. It's a, what a story, a young entrepreneur. Okay, so you're you're you. It, so initially, your investment was while you were working for somebody else, mm -hmm. right? And so there's one thing to say, oh, I'm working a job and I'm going to go invest in some property, which people can do and they can work with you on really strategizing and building that. But at what point did you say, okay, I'm going to move out, you know, I'm done with my job. Did that, would that revelation come at the same time? Or did you think to yourself, okay, you know, how do you position yourself as an entrepreneur beyond just being an investor? Yeah, I think a lot of times you'll hear this. I, I guess I've learned this phrase, but a lot of times little birds, they, they can't, they can't sing. So they chirp, mm -hmm. but when it's a full grown bird, they, they start to sing their song. And for a while I was just a little bird chirping away mm -hmm. until I finally had the platform to start singing. And that was through social media. So I, I started posting about tax content and strategies and personal finance and all these things. And then my social media following started to blow up. Mm. And that's when I started taking on clients on the side, unfortunately doing a little moonlighting. Sure. Sorry, my previous employer. Yeah. But hey, it's okay. <laughs> I started yeah. doing some moonlighting and then I started gaining some traction and I started speaking at these events. And, and I said, there's a huge void for this knowledge and education. All these real estate agents, all these people don't know about these strategies. And I started making enough money that I was making more money on the side than my, my W-2 job. And I said, okay, what if I did this full time? And it was that that year, that first year of kind of doing this on the side, where I I amassed the, those earnings, and then okay, I'm going to do it full time. Mm -hmm. So I've been uh, in this space doing full time, like I said, coaching, tax strategy, real estate investing. I've been full time for about two years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, did you think that you were going to be an entrepreneur when you got your job, or do you think, oh, I'm just going to build myself, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder? I always had, uh, hey, I, I want to. Of course, make a lot of money, but I always did see myself climbing that corporate ladder, whether mm -hmm. it was through a public accounting firm, kind of scaling up, and hopefully by the time I'm 40 or 45, I become a partner at a mm -hmm. CPA firm, mm -hmm. or maybe I'm a CFO or a CEO of a company. But it's just when you have a calling, and I and I think that's through my through my background and, and being a Christian, it's and get, you know understanding like God gives you these talents and these and these blessings, and mm -hmm. then you could use that what you're given to go bless other people, mm -hmm. and in return you get financially and of course, compensated very well through spiritual and you know things to do, and said now I can bless more people, and it's mm -hmm. just really been okay. I have this money. Let me pour more fuel on the fire of what I'm doing, and just be able being able to help a lot more people. Yeah, I love it. Well, so you're you know Ryan, what impressed me about you is that you're a self-aware person. There's a lot of people that watch our podcast that are either going to start as become a realtor. They're wondering whether entrepreneurship is the angle that they want to take. They're, um, they're thinking about becoming real estate investors and all that, was when you took your first step to buy that first property, was this path clear to you or was it more like you took the first step and then the next step and then the next yeah. step? Yeah, I learned so much from the first deal that it wasn't really about the money that I made on the first deal, but the experience that I got with the first deal. Because mm -hmm. that, that first deal, I could never, if I could turn around and say, hey, here's a $10,000 check, and I could have that experience of what I got from that first deal, I would, I would pay it on a heartbeat. Because mm -hmm. that's what gets started. And I would say for any entrepreneur, the thing that strikes me the most is that there's gonna be people all the steps away in life that'll say, what if it goes wrong? What if it doesn't work out? What if the toilet gets clogged at 3 a.m.? You hear mm -hmm. that all the time you, from friends, family, especially like I heard it a ton from my parents, mm -hmm. a ton from my family. But there's nobody there that's 
going to tell you what if it could be better than you ever could imagine. Mm. And that's what it was for me, mm-hmm. where I had no idea that there was this other... Yeah, what if it goes great? What if it goes amazing? Yeah. Right? And then I had this realization where it's like, okay, if you're an accountant, if you, if you have a specific skill set before you try to get and become an entrepreneur, the worst case scenario is you just go back to doing what you were doing before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they'll always take you back. Why not take the risk? And so my most actionable advice is uh, figure out what it is that you want to do in entrepreneurship. Build a one years of an emergency fund. So you, so total up your monthly expenses times it by 12 and have one year of emergency fund. So that way, if maybe give it a year and if money doesn't start coming in, mm-hmm. worst case scenario, you just go back to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But I try not to have a plan B. So. Yeah, I love it. Um, so uh, were there times that you doubted? Were there times that you looked at it and said, man, did I make the wrong move? There is definitely things in the process where, okay, I could have done that a little bit differently, whether it was the people that I decided to work with or the employees that I hired and subsequently fired or the people that, the relationships that I built. I definitely looked back and said, okay, I could have done that a certain way. But I don't, I wouldn't say I necessarily regret anything. A lot of it's, hey, what can I learn from this? And so I'm constantly, if I have a relationship with somebody and it gets to the, let's say the closing table or I go to close a sale or something like that, I always try to wonder, okay, I didn't close that, but what could I have done differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you, you eventually, you stack all those learning experiences on top of each other and that becomes the person you are today. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I regret anything, but it's, hey, what can I learn from these mistakes and experiences? So uh, at least running a business, one thing I try to do is hire somebody that can kind of do a little bit of everything in the business, which mm-hmm. was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, there's a reason why there's people are employees, right? They're, they're going to do one specific thing and I made the mistake of trying to hire somebody that could do mul- wear multiple hats when really he just wanted to focus on one thing. Mm-hmm. So that's just like a mistake that I've made. Yeah, and those are all learning experience. But if you th- it, no no mistake is fatal, and um, they're all uh, things you can learn from and leverage to get better, right? And that's a, that's a good point. I always tell people if they're just getting started, just st- start small. Because mm-hmm. if you make a let's say you make a ten percent mistake on a three hundred thousand dollar property, it's not going to set you back. A, a ton. If you make a ten percent mistake on a million dollar multifamily deal, that that could bankrupt you. That could really put a hole in your financial situation. So always start small. Get those knowledge. Get those get those wins. Like for me, it was it was buying a deal. You know, I spent two hundred forty grand on my first house. Mm-hmm. I didn't even have to come out of pocket for money again because I negotiated selling costs and whatnot. But you know that money, that ten twelve grand that I would have had to come out of pocket for, that's I'm going to start small. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go big. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, okay, so uh, you you build your social media presence because you're talking about tax strategies and you're offering people advice and kind of sharing your journey, really, right? And mm. what's worked for you. And okay, so now uh, it went from uh, people you know liking you and being interested to saying, "Hey, Ryan, I'd like you to show me how to do it for myself." So. Talk a little bit about the people that have gotten involved with you. What is what have what's the success they've experienced, and what are the benefits that uh, people have had working with you? You know, a little bit of a profile of some of these. Yeah, so I, I like to use the example of you're you're driving on a highway, right, and you have a destination. Typically, the destination is going to be financial freedom for most people. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm working at a job I don't like. I want to spend more time with my kids. I want to cut back so that I can have that freedom. Some people like their W two job and say, mm-hmm. Hey, I just want to have a, a good uh, nest nest mm-hmm. egg sitting on the side. Well, whatever it is, it, it requires cash or cash flow. Mm-hmm. And the two things that are stopping you on that destination is going to be having to stop for bathrooms and tolls. And tolls are the IRS. Tolls mm-hmm. are going to be the government. 
-hmm. And typically the profile of a client that we're working with is going to be an above average earner who's paying a ton in taxes. So mm -hmm. I would say for a single person, they're probably 150 grand or more in income. For a married couple, it's probably 250 or more mm -hmm. in income to kind of start working with us. But it's more so about saying, let's outline that destination. What are those goals? Do you want to have one property, three properties? How many properties? What are the purchase price? How are you gonna buy them? Let's map out those goals and then let's figure out how we can work in the tax strategy mm -hmm. to help us benefit that. So a lot of times, I'll give you an example. We have, say we have a, uh, two higher earning W2s, maybe they're making 350, 400 grand total and they're buying a short term rental or they're buying a property. Well, on average, our client in 2021 was saving about $30,000 a year in taxes by buying real estate and learning how they could use the real estate losses. They're gonna be paper losses, not cash losses mm -hmm. as we know. Mm -hmm. Use those losses to help offset their W-2 or their, their 1099 income. And so now that they're saving 30 grand, that's gonna be able to add us, get us closer to that freedom destination that we want because they can take that 30 grand and use it to go buy more deals and more cash flow. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately save more money in taxes. Mm -hmm. So you are not, you know, so there's a, there's, there's a quite a, a, a few people talking about real estate investment, but you're, you're talking about it from a standpoint of really uh, the tax benefits and how to you know leverage those so that uh, you can you know really benefit. Yeah, and that's a great point too because I I will be the first person to always say that you don't want to let the tax tail wag the dog. So mm -hmm. you don't want to buy a deal just for the tax benefits. You get a lot of guys closer to the end of the year they're like, oh, I just need to buy something. I just need to I just need to get something in so I can get the tax benefits from or. They're, they're people that are trying to execute 1031s and they just buy really crappy deals because they don't want to pay the tax. Mm -hmm. Never let the tax tail wag the dog. So I always try to present people, I have performas and spreadsheets on, on my website and some of the tools that I share with clients, but it's, hey, let's, let's look at this deal. Okay, it meets our investment goals, whether it's cash on cash or overall cash flow, mm -hmm. and then let's see what the tax benefits do for it. Mm -hmm. There's a because if you only hunt for the tax benefits, what you're going to have is you're going to have a portfolio of low performing properties, mm -hmm. which means it's going to be harder for you to generate more cash flow to exit from those properties if you if you had to. And just overall, I'm spending a ton of time on these properties and they're not really servicing me right now. So I always tell people, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. You want to make sure that the deal works from a financial take the tax benefits out. But then let's see what it actually does with the tax benefits inside. And and oftentimes we've seen let's say a 17% cash on cash deal turned into a 45% cash on cash deal mm -hmm. or doubling the first year cash flow because of those tax, you know, 30, $40,000 in tax savings. Yeah. So it seems to me like, you know, there's a lot of people that emotionally uh, get emotionally involved in real estate, but it seems to me just from my experience with you that that's, that's not as big a part for you is you're really, uh, you know, pragmatic and kind of take the emotion out of it and kind of numbers based. And, and that's what a good advisor should do for you. A good yeah. advisor should say, I'm a third party, I'm an independent third party, I don't really have a, you know, I, I don't have a dog in the fight, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm able to sit and look at somebody's portfolio and their goals and say, I don't think this fits your needs or I should do something different. I had a client actually come two weeks ago and say, hey, I have this property in Alabama, it's a short term rental at Gulf Shores, Alabama. I spent a lot of time managing it, I kinda wanna get rid of it doesn't really fit my goals and I sit down and look at it and she has, what I like to do is I call the cash on equity audit. So I look at the amount of equity that you have versus the expected net income for mm -hmm. that year mm -hmm. and I divide those two together. So 
she had $150,000 of equity in a property that was making net 50 grand a year. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was saying, well, why would you sell this? This is a, this is a cash cow. Your, mm-hmm. your cash on equity winner. return is 33%. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not going to get 33% returns anywhere else. And she goes, oh yeah, you're right. When you, when you sit down and look at the numbers and you take the emotion and the logic out of it, it is a good deal. So that's the first thing is there is going to be emotion and sentimental value to some deals, but you have to count it in. So if somebody says, hey, you know, I got this property. There's a lot of equity in it. I kind of want to sell it, but my mother-in-law lives there or nearby. I want that to be a house where if we have to go take care of her, we can live there. Okay, mm-hmm. now you're adding emotion to the equation, so we can't look at the numbers only one for one. Yeah. Now. And so there's, I always tell people, you know, if you're going to have a lot, let's call it a lifestyle. I call that a lifestyle asset mm-hmm. where if you're going to buy a house where it's, okay, maybe we'll go vacation there or snowbird there. Mm-hmm. You have to discount it and look at it totally different than you would a pure investment decision. Mm-hmm. And how often or what percentage of your clients come to you and haven't bought even one property? Is it the majority of them? Or are you kind of working with a mix of, of investors that come to you and go, hey, listen, I really need someone to fluff and buff my portfolio? Yeah, unfortunately with, with tax, um, it's very reactive, not proactive. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are, hey, I did all this stuff the previous year or a couple months ago, and now I'm trying to figure out how to combat that what Mm -hmm. I've noticed is that's how it was when I started in this Mm -hmm. and through the education by me and and a bunch of other people now it's becoming this thing where it's a lot more proactive Mm -hmm. so people are starting to even before they buy their first property or before they buy their next property start reaching out to tax advisors and tax people like myself to say what does this do for my situation which I really enjoy Mm -hmm. but to answer the question I would say probably only 20 I'd say 25% 25% of people haven't bought a property yet before they contact me. The other 75 have already been investing or have bought properties before. Okay. Um, and Ryan, I, you know, I know you're on uh, Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're you know, everywhere. Um, what do those groups look like? Um, let's talk about the face group, Facebook group. Uh, are, are people interacting? Are there a bunch of investors there? I mean, what's the benefit of being a part of that, just that kind of discussion or you know, that mastermind? Yeah, especially in the Facebook group, it's it's people that are investing all over the country. Mm-hmm. So we have sixty as we're filming this, we have sixty five hundred people in there. And so somebody might say, "Hey, I'm a I'm an investor. I live in California, but I got a property in the Smoky Mountains." Mm-hmm. And then they might also follow up by saying, "Does it, can anybody recommend a cleaner or a handyman in the Smoky Mountains?" And then so that's when X Y Z person comments, "Oh yeah, my cleaner." Her, her name or his name is this, you need to reach out to him. So there's a lot of referrals in within the network that I built mm-hmm. to really help people out because people might be investing out of state. I tend to deal with a lot of people that are doing vacation homes and short-term rentals. So this is like a affiliate network within the Facebook group. But then I'm also constantly posting tax advice in there, yes. some clips and some videos. Yep. I host, uh, I, tr- I try to do it every quarter, but I'll do a webinar where I'll do a bunch of teaching and presentation and then I try to play the clips back into there, but it's a really good network. Some people just come in and ask questions. I try to respond if I can, if not. Mm-hmm. And what's actually gotten great is because the group runs itself now. Because mm. somebody will post and there's somebody in the group that's already learned from me and mm-hmm. they'll just post right back. Mm-hmm. Say, this is what You're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. that guy's got it. So now, yeah. the, now the group is just kind of running itself. So That's and great. We, we, I, I want to say 250 people joined just this week. Wow, that's yeah. amazing, Ryan, congratulations. So what are the levels that people can, you know, get involved with you, get maybe more specific about that? Uh, you know, there's, is it, is there an hourly thing? Is it, co- you know, coaching yeah. over time? I mean, or is it a little bit different? Yeah. Just talk to me and I'll, we'll work so something out. 
I take the model of I don't want to withhold education or knowledge from anybody. Yeah, you provide a lot of free so content. So I give everything yeah, away for lot, free. Okay. So I give, whether or not you're a beginner, intermediate, advanced investor, I have something for you mm-hmm. to give away. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a calculation, spreadsheet, or a video, or training modules, I try to give everything away. And then for me, it's more, okay, now that you have all this knowledge and understanding, now we can ask better questions and more educated questions, not only more educated, but pertain to your exact situation. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I kind of engage people is when they're ready to have that conversation of, okay, I know everything I need to know, but I need to know how it applies to my situation. Mm-hmm. And I want to learn that from you. So that's typically where I try to meet people at. As far as how I work with people, I can either take people one-on-one and it's not just tax strategy with a one-on-one anymore. So I do, I do, I do entity structure review from a tax perspective. So I look at their, their current entity structure and figure out if they should rework things from a tax perspective. Mm-hmm. I look at their prior year tax returns, kind of see what's going on there. I offer tax strategy in that package, but then I also do that equity analysis review. Mm-hmm. And that's crucial right now, as a lot of people are sitting on equity, there's, there's stats that come out every day, hey, here's how many homeowners have this percent interest rate, this much equity, so they're mm-hmm. not selling. Mm-hmm. I help people make those type of decisions. Oh, should I refinance, HELOC, 1031? Should I sell and buy something else? Should mm-hmm. I do nothing? Mm-hmm. Help people make those decisions in that one-on-one. Now, my, my, um, I call it my Tax Strategy Academy, which they you can get come in, and it's weekly office hours. So once a week, I'll get on, teach something, or answer people's questions that have joined the group. Mm-hmm. So they get, a, they get a one-hour consultation with me to start, and then they can get enrolled in this weekly office hours so that they can ask questions once a week for an hour. Hmm. That's probably the number one response I hear from people that say, oh, I can't really get a hold of my accountant. Like, they mm-hmm. never reach out, it takes forever. That's what I've, I've tried to uh, diminish that by saying, here's one hour each week where we're gonna get in contact with each other, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, and you might, uh, someone might not need you for 10 weeks, but all of a sudden the 11th week, I need an answer to something, I can hop on and, and yeah. uh, talk to you. Yeah, and that's what I've, I've really tried to differentiate myself from that and try to step out of my day-to-day operations. So that mm-hmm. way, if, if a one-on-one client or somebody in that group is, is trying to get a hold of me, I'm responding within 24 hours. Um, that's great. What, um, what's, what's, the, what's the vision for you, Ryan? I, I, you know, and you know, something that uh, struck me as you're talking is, you know, you've purchased some property, so you, you put your money where your mouth is in the sense of these strategies are real enough that I'm engaged in them. However, your experience is not limited to that mm-hmm. because you're working with so many people, probably people that have a bigger real estate portfolio than you, yeah. but they're still coming to you. So you get the benefit of seeing what that looks like you know, 10 years down the road or 20 years down the road or whatever. Yeah. And so I think that that's a neat thing that when people are tapping into you, they're actually tapping into all the experiences that you've uh, interacted with, you know, uh, through your uh, big network. What my other clients are doing, yeah. people in this area. Yeah. And it's also funny too, because I'll see a lot of guys that are using different types of debt structure, mm-hmm. equity structure, mm-hmm. mezzanine, and, and all these things, and I'll ask questions. Hey, I saw this pop up on your closing disclosure. What mm-hmm. exactly is mm-hmm. that? You know, and, mm-hmm. and I'll learn a lot too from my clients. But I may or may not have this document that has all my clients' properties and knowing which markets are making money and which ones are not. All right. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Um, so what is so uh, so? Uh, how do you uh, how how do you think big? I mean, has it been something that you've you've always? Uh, you know, have you been that kind of person or have you been, 
was did you like wake up and go wow I really am in control of my own destiny here mm -hmm. and I really I really can reach for something that other people all, all around me my whole life haven't reached for what how does that been because that's a different way to think yeah I I would say that I need to start thinking a lot bigger okay. um, I was kind of I don't want to say narrow-minded, but I was very short vision when I started, mm -hmm. and now I'm at the point where I do need to start thinking bigger and kind of legacy and what I, what you know, what do I want to do five years, ten years, fifteen years from now? Okay, and so that's still in development. Yeah, so this next five or so months is really about, and this is something that I teach. It's a concept called the Genius Zone, and it's a book written by a guy named Gus Hendricks. But he talks about that there's a certain category of activities that you were put on the planet to do, mm -hmm. and that that's your genius zone, and typically people only spend 10% of their total time in their genius zone mm. and 90% of their time doing other things that they don't need. Admin tasks, you know, shopping for groceries or doing, doing these other tasks where they don't necessarily need to be the one doing that. Um, and so once I read that book and kind of apply these principles, I found that I was probably spending only 15 or 20% of my time in my genius zone before 2022. Mm. Now in 2022, I feel I'm probably spending 50 The People 50 Not Titles podcast is proud to be sponsored by Land Trust Title Services, your partners for results. I'm probably spending 50 to 60% of my time in my genius zone and 40% of the time everywhere else. And the next five months are, are trying to figure out how can I spend 90% of my time in my genius zone mm -hmm. and 10% of the time. Because if you're in your genius zone, that's going to be the work that you get the most fulfillment out of. And if you're aligned enough, it's also going to be the work that you're going to get heavily compensated for too. Yeah, it's your, it's your, you know, kind of your God-given brand, right? Yes. Uh, so, okay, so what? That's great. I love that. So, what has been the impact for you dedicating yourself, setting, setting yourself out? So, first off, what were some of the steps? For you to get in the genius zone, like make that list and go, I can need to offload some of this crap over here. Or yeah. how, how did that look like at the beginning of the year when you're initiating that? Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. uh, you you pretty much. So once you go through the stages of what the four different tasks are, mm -hmm. it's basically on a series of, okay, very mundane, easily outsourced to, okay, these are kind of a little bit more important here. So I kind of got to find the right people to do mm -hmm. those. Well, you go through that task and you just spend maybe two weeks writing out every single thing that you do in a day. And figure out, okay, here's all this stuff that's over here mm. in the non-important categories that's mm -hmm. not the genius zone. Mm -hmm. And once you figure that out, you kind of learn, okay, that's not genius zone activity. That is genius zone. And really, I tell people, you want to find whatever it is in the world that you're top 10% at, top 15%. You should know that, hey, what do I love to do? What am I, what am I really good at? And go all in. Just mm -hmm. go all in mm -hmm. on it. And for me, that was truly just taking concepts that are really complex for a lot of people, which is the tax strategy, which is the investing part, and boiling it down to something that everyone can understand. Mm -hmm. And that's that's my genius zone there. You know, Ryan, it makes me think, uh, I, I, I'm a big proponent of everything that you just said there. And I, you know, I even think about that after you spend like probably half a year in the genius zone, there's a bunch more stuff you need to offload that because you're generating just more work, more activity, more everything, and uh, you know you need to be uh, really um, conscious of constantly uh, sifting through what you're doing and making sure you're you're really possessive of that. But there are people that are older. You're a young guy, and some people have no idea what their genius zone is. Mm. They've just been working a job that they don't like or whatever it is. <clears throat> so is there anything that you'd recommend for someone that just hasn't thought about how they were created or what, you know, what they were built for 
and maybe even lost a little bit of the hope of that. I want to say the the older that you get, the more your genius zone. And the genius zone, just to be frank, it doesn't have to necessarily be skills or activities that make you money. Mm -hmm. Your genius zone could be spending time with your family. Sure. And so typically the older that you get, the more that genius zone shifts towards spending time with family. And so the only way you're going to spend time with family is if you get out of working. Mm -hmm. And the only way to get out of working is to really start, you know, save up like a squirrel mm -hmm. and, and invest your money sit, yeah. or start a business. Yeah, so creating, what I hear you saying is, and uh, is creating space for you to think a little bit, uh, creating some freedom for yourself that you can, you know, you can get into that. Um, so I, I, I agree with that. That's great, great uh, stuff on the genius zone. Let's talk about mentors. Um, was there anyone that was really key? Because it sounds to me like, you know, you were a little bit, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word black sheep, but you made a move that your family said, hey, what are you doing? Watch out, that kind of thing, right? So who who inspires you and who uh, has taken, has anyone taken you under their wing mm -hmm. to uh, help you? Yeah, I would say my first sort of mentor, although he wasn't mentoring me, mm -hmm. but I just seen him on social media, was a guy named Brandon Hall. And Brandon mm -hmm. Hall was a CPA who, at 25 or 26, he quit the W-2 to start his own firm called the Real Estate CPA. Hmm. And I started watching and following his his brand and his platform, and I saw, hey, here's this guy who used to be Big Four, which is exactly what I was doing, Big Four Accounting. He scaled this real estate CPA firm on the side eventually until he was able to leave. And then he does this whole time now. Fast forward seven years, I think, I want to say he's got probably eight million in revenue, hmm. 60 employees, hmm. and he's fully scaled out of the operations and moving on. So he was kind of the first mentor because so he was the model for yeah you. he was the model he really laid the roadmap out even for free i was okay he's posting on social media he's got the podcast mm -hmm. he's engaging with mm -hmm. these groups and going to these conferences that's really the playbook of what i need to do mm -hmm. and so he was really a mentor to me even though i haven't um i i never paid him or i never got one-on-one -on -one advice mm -hmm. we're, we're good friends now but um yeah but it's the benefit of him sharing his journey with and all of a sudden you caught the vision just seeing that it's possible yeah and He's told me before, he goes, you're light years ahead of where I was at that time. Wow. You're going to blow it out of the yeah. water. And so he was kind of like the first mentor, even though he didn't take me under his wing. And then since then, I've, I've learned a few different uh, from a few different other people, especially about the idea of building a brand. So mm -hmm. for one of my mentors, his name's his name is Bill Faith. And so he talks about these three concepts, these three, three skills to build a personal brand. And I, I want to share them today here too, but he's taught me how... The first step is becoming the person of interest at whatever it is that you do. Mm -hmm. So if you're a realtor in the Schaumburg area, let's say, you want to let everybody know that that's exactly what you do. Mm. And so for me, that was, hey, I'm a tax strategist. I'm also an investor. And so you want to post social media content about that. And what happens is people will start to respond and say, hey, a question will get posted in their group and say, hey, I have this tax question, this financial question. And somebody would respond with, oh, you need to talk to this Ryan guy because the Ryan guy knows the question to, or the answer to that. So I would just start going in these groups and posting answers to people's questions, trying to help people out mm -hmm. without ever expecting anything in return. So I would never say, oh yeah, call me or mm -hmm. you know, message me if you have any questions. It was just providing that value without expecting anything in return. And then it leads to number two, which is called the law of reciprocity. Mm -hmm. So the law of reciprocity is basically giving value to somebody without ever expecting anything in return. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like Olive Garden. Olive Garden when they bring you the bill, they give you a mint. Mm -hmm. Well, they did a study that said a waitress that brought one mint got 10% tip. Waitress that came and brought two mints got 15% tip. Mm -hmm. 
But the waitress that got the most money was the waitress that came to the table, left the bill in a mint, went to the kitchen, and came back and brought more mints to the table. Because what that did to them was say, she went out of her way to provide more value to us, so we're going to give her a bigger tip. Psychological. Give value yeah. without ever asking for anything in return, right? Law of reciprocity, number two. And then lastly, he taught me what's called the transfer of authority. So the transfer of authority, you can think of it as like a referral, but it's a, it's a warm referral. It's me saying... Hey, I don't really know much about you know title or how that things works, but you nearly go talk to Steve because he's the expert in and what it is that he does, right? Mm-hmm. Or hey, I don't really know much about tax strategy, but you nearly go talk to Ryan because he's the expert in that and he really knows. Or this is what I know, but you really need to go talk to this person. So mm-hmm. those three principles, those three key things, are what I learned from Bill and kind of really what I teach other people now. Hmm. So it's interesting what you said about is it Brandon? Did you say Brandon Hall? Yeah, yeah. Brandon. Is that Brandon set out on his own journey to try to be his best and all that and that inspired you and he had no idea that there was this guy in Tinley Park waking up going ooh right and I think that yeah. that that inspires me to be my best because you never know who's watching you mm-hmm. never know who's being inspired and and what I also found out and I don't know if this is true for you that Guys like Brandon love to help guys like you. Yeah. Right? When you're hungry and you're like, man, I dig your information. Can you help me out? They're like, yep, I can help you. I see the the tiger, the eye of the tiger here. I want to take this guy and help him out. So, yeah. you know, that there's, once you step out of the comfort zone into the discomfort zone, you know, people engage with you and you, now you're working, now you're with a whole different group of people that think differently, that are going for different things and you just become different. Yeah, that's exactly how it happened too. Mm. And that's, that's now I'm the person to be for other people. There you go. Now I'm the person to tell other people, what if it could be better than you ever could imagine? Mm. So Wow, that's cool. Um, so, uh, so you're still thinking about vision. You're still thinking about all those different things. Um, we're excited, Ryan, to be able to have you uh, talk to our real estate population and to our investor population, which we're going we're gonna to be announcing in August, where you're going to do a session that really is going to lay out how you can reduce your taxes, how you can show as realtors, how you can have a, a, something in your tool belt to make you more of a subject matter expert. Uh, in you know helping investors achieve their goal of accumulating wealth and reducing their uh, tax liabilities and stuff like that, and then how they can work with you as well. Mm-hmm. But where can people find you now on social media? I mean, we'll have all that in the show notes. But what's the easiest way to get you right now? Yeah, it'll be learn like a CPA on all platforms. So mm-hmm. learn like a CPA. It's going to be on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and then if you go on, if you're on Facebook, go to Tax Strategies for Real Estate Investors. We have 6,500 people in the Facebook group. Hmm. Awesome. And I still respond to all my messages too, so it's not going to be somebody else that responds. I personally respond to all messages. Mm -hmm. And Ryan, in terms of real estate deals, um, can people who, let's say people don't have time, they're too busy making money and they want to get involved in real uh, real estate opportunities. Is that Mm -hmm. something that they can look to you for? Yeah, that's a perfect uh, catalyst for a joint venture or a syndication, right? There's the thing about real estate and what somebody taught me is in real estate, you need three things to get a deal done. You need capital, you need time, and you need experience. But the thing is, is you don't have to have all three. Mm. So a lot of people might have the capital, but they don't necessarily, like you said, they're working too much, they don't have the time, and they've never done a deal before, they don't have the experience, but they have the capital. Mm -hmm. So you only need one of those three things. Typically, you either need capital or you need time and experience, Mm -hmm. right? You're not going to have 
probably just time, but right. maybe. Right. So if you have the capital, okay, you need to partner with somebody who's got the time and experience. So I have teams and networks that have the time and experience. Mm-hmm. Or or if you have the time and experience and I and I love what you're doing and I love your deal, I can raise money to help you facilitate the deal. So in real estate, you, know, you need three things, capital, time, and experience, but it doesn't have to be all three by you. Mm-hmm. I love it. So people can get involved with you that way. Mm-hmm. If I have capital and I want to leverage your time and experience or the people, uh, time and experience of the group, yeah. that's how they can tap into it. Yep. And you've done a couple of, you mentioned that not only have you expanded your, um, your multi-unit uh, investment portfolio to out of state and those kind of things, you've done a few of those syndicated uh, campgrounds and RV things. Yeah. Uh, and talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So the, we like the campground and the RV space because they trade like normal businesses. Mm. So short-term rentals, which is what we're also into a little bit, the short-term rentals, Airbnb, single family rental, those are going to trade based off the sales approach, meaning that they're only going to be valued based on what the market values them based on the sales approach. But if you have an RV park or a campground, it's based on net operating income. And you can back into a you can get a cap rate and back into an appraisal value or you know a new purchase price or refinance amount. So we we like campgrounds and RV parks compared to short term rentals or other asset classes because you can really drive the NOI of these things mm. more than you can short term rentals and multifamily or long term rentals. And campgrounds a lot of times people worry about Airbnbs because of the regulations. Well, campgrounds and RV parks have been around for decades, so they're pretty much grandfathered in. So we like them because they generate more cash flow. It's easier to exit because you can back into it, you can get an appraisal and, and refinance and get your investors out. And they're a little bit more safer than regular short-term rental investments. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so you know, people have heard. We'll kind of wrap it up here. People have heard about interest rates are rising, inventory's tight, blah blah blah. Is real estate dead? No. I- I would say that it's definitely getting a lot harder for deals to pencil out, but you should never stop. You should never put down the pencil. Mm. Meaning, like you want to keep underwriting deals, even if they keep scratching out and scratching out, because there's going to be a time where the market is a little bit better for a buyer. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you just have your pencil down the whole time, it's like you're showing up for the test, the final exam, without going through the whole class. Mm. You want to be ready so that way, when you do, you know, come up on capital or the market does seem right, that you're ready to go. You don't never really want to time the market, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you bought in, if you think of a 30, 40 year span, even if you bought in at a little bit higher than you should have, in 30, 40 years, you're still gonna have all that wealth built. So Absolutely. I would tell people to never put their pencil down. Um, another thing I would say too is, if you buy a deal now at 7% interest rate and it cash flows for you, typically every 1% that the interest rate goes up or down, it decreases or increases the purchase price by 8%. Mm-hmm. So if I'm buying a deal and it's cash flowing and it's doing very, very well at 7%, well, when interest rates do go down to 5%, I, I'm intrinsically going to have an 18% higher per, uh, valuation on that property because now somebody has that purchasing power. Because mm. at 7% interest rates, borrowers only have so much purchasing power. When interest rates go down, borrowers have higher purchasing power. So mm-hmm. if the deal pencils out now, then imagine it will pencil out when the interest rates do come back down, mm-hmm. which we don't know. Yeah, yeah right. We don't. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, the other question I have on that is, let's say a person's not looking to invest anymore, but they just want you to look at their portfolio. That's the thing, right? I mean, that's you can make an impact in that way. Yeah, um, that's really more of a finance, it's more of a risk question. Mm-hmm. You know, I have people that say, hey, I want, I'm going to have all my money in real estate. I don't want anything in the stock market, mm-hmm. right? And I have some people that say, 
hey, 50, 30, 20. Mm -hmm. This guy uses a 50, 30, 20. He goes, I want 50% of my portfolio to be real estate that I control, mm -hmm. for, you know, clear. I want 30% of my portfolio to be the stock market. And I want 20% of my equity to be in other people's businesses and ventures and things like that. Mm -hmm. So people's risk tolerance on that is going to look a little bit different based on age, you know, their, their demands. Somebody that's closer to retirement that really only has money in the stock market, they're going to need something that's going to increase and have more cash flow. Mm -hmm. If you if you're getting towards retirement age and you got a half million dollars in, in the stock market, typically you're going to get a four percent safe withdrawal rate of return. So if you multiply four percent by five hundred k, you're only getting twenty grand a year in mm -hmm. income. Yeah, you're not. That five hundred thousand, if you can, let's say you can achieve fifteen percent cash on cash in your rentals. Now you go from a $20,000 income stream to a $75,000 a year income stream mm. just by getting your money out of the market and moved it into real estate. Mm -hmm. So for clients that are getting closer to retirement age, that normally is the best solution is how can we get your money out of the stock market and into real estate where you can get higher cash on cash returns. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, Ryan, uh, I don't, is there anything else you want to add, Ryan? Anything else that you want to say about just, uh, you know, people getting involved with you? And if not, we can, you know... Yeah, I mean, definitely check out the content. Like I said, I put I I, I spend tens of thousands of dollars a year, probably hundreds of probably a hundred thousand dollars in the last year and a half to build the brand. And yes. Put the podcast and put the informational material out there for free for everybody. Mm -hmm. So please take advantage of it. And if you have any questions, again, like you said, you can follow up with me. Just learn like a CPA on all platforms too. Great. Yeah. Ryan, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you. We appreciate it. Take care. People not titles signing off. Hey. Thanks for listening to the People Not Titles podcast. We are proudly sponsored by Land Trust Title Services. If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the like button. Please subscribe. And we'd love it if you'd share our podcast with your friends. Thanks a lot.